You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Well, good morning to you on this Lord's Day. And here we are on the backside of the election. And of course, what would 2020 do but make the election take even longer? So it is what it is, but I'm encouraged whenever I remember the thing that we remind ourselves of when we come together on Sundays. And I know you're at home, but I want to help you remember too and help me remember Jesus is Lord. Jesus is risen and Jesus is coming. Whatever the chaos of our national politics and of everything else that's swirling around with the pandemic continuing to grow, Jesus is still Lord. Jesus is still risen. And Jesus is still coming. And that is where our hope and our faith rest. We're starting a new series this Sunday. We are talking about intersecting grace. The other day, we were on a car trip. We went up to Oklahoma for a funeral. Uh, My wife's sister-in-law, her father, passed away, and we knew him, and we also, of course, wanted to be there for Lisa's brother's wife and their family, my my nieces and nephews, the kids' cousins. So we went up there, and on the way up, we were driving, and they had not had their media, their little Kindles with the games and stuff on it for several hours, but eventually we gave in and just gave it to them and let them finish out the rest of the car trip with them. And But as we were driving, I passed two monster trucks on the side of the road. And they were cool looking. I mean, who doesn't like a monster truck, especially a boy? And so I said, hey, Slater, look! Look at those trucks with those huge wheels. They're so awesome. And he didn't even hear me. He was so buried into his Kindle watching or doing or playing whatever he was on it. And by the time we got there, what, Dad? What? Well, we missed it. You've missed it now. We've already passed it. And that little event saddens me a little when I know that, oh, their faces are buried in just something unproductive, something that doesn't engage with them. It it gives the appearance of engagement, but it really doesn't engage with them. But here was something real. Here was something amazing. Depending on your interaction with monster trucks, may or may not be amazing to you, but here is something that you, you you could go wow at. And I think there's a lot of things that we should go wow at on our journey, especially because of the God we serve. The way that God shows up and interacts and displays himself, manifests himself before us, around us. It should be jaw-dropping. Wow, look at that. Look what God is doing. And unfortunately, we've made our lives to resemble our interstate system, and that is go as fast as you can to get to your destination and don't slow down for anything or anybody if at all possible, and miss what's going on around you. And so, the point of this lesson is, in these series coming up, 
these lessons coming up over the next several weeks is don't miss it. Know what God is doing. And this week, we're looking at how God shows up and surprises us, how he shows up in ways we're not expecting. Now, we, we have our journey that we're on, and we want to get to our destination, as we should. But don't be surprised whenever God shows up in unexpected ways, whenever his grace intersects the path that we're on. And sometimes those intersections maybe turn into detours. And we don't like that idea. You know, we, again, we have our destination in our mind and we don't want to go on a back road or around a slower way. We, we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to have to adjust. We like going right through. Let me tell you a story. When I was in college, I was going to Oklahoma Christian University in Oklahoma City, and a part of me really wanted to be an engineer, a mechanical engineer. And I took many classes in the engineering department, and Nosey had a very well-respected engineering department. And I took classes, and I was liking it, and I've always enjoyed that kind of stuff. And honestly, I've always enjoyed math. And, the, and, and that trajectory of, you know, figuring things out with numbers. Well, I hit a wall one semester. I hit a wall and it was called physics. I'd taken calculus and I'd been fine. I'd taken many other pretty advanced classes and been fine. But when I got to physics, I was okay, but I realized something. This isn't enjoyable anymore. I'd always enjoyed my classes, and when I got to physics, it was just laborious. It was just taxing, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I started thinking, do I really want to be an engineer? Now, I had also been taking many Bible classes. I had actually not declared my major because I knew that I at least wanted a Bible minor because I wanted to do ministry in some way, in some context, but I didn't know that I wanted to do full-time ministry, be a preacher especially. And I was struggling with what I wanted to do. This is actually my sophomore year in college. I was still struggling. And I went home, and while I was struggling with physics and thinking, I, I just don't know, I had a conversation. Conversation with a guy at the church I grew up at. And he surprisingly told me that he had thought about going into ministry whenever he was young. And this guy was a computer programmer and a pretty talented one, a pretty successful one. And he said that somebody gave him advice once. He knew that I've been taking lots of Bible classes and we were having a conversation about what I was going to do, what, what career I was going to follow, what career path. And he said that somebody gave him advice once. And that advice was... When it comes to ministry, if you can do anything else, do it. Uh, that's kind of negative. And the guy was sharing with me that he thought to himself, you know what, I can do lots of stuff. I'm good with computers. I'm good with this. and I'm good with that. And I don't have to do ministry. And so he took the advice. He, he, he took a different career path. I said... Thank you, David. His name was David. And I appreciate the talk. And, and I turned and I walked away. And when I did, I know I had a grin on my face. 
Because in that moment, I realized I can't do anything else. That my heart, my mind, my soul really won't let me. And in that moment, I faced a detour. And in a conversation I had with this man at church that I knew, God showed up. I intersected God. And what he was calling me to do was actually Colby turn. Turn down a different road. Turn down a different path. Let me show you where I want to take you. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Here are two guys on a path on their journey. And they're good guys, no doubt. They're Jews. They follow God. They love God. They serve God. Seeing the interactions that they have with Jesus later on. Uh, don't think these were despicable, sinful men. They were on an okay path. They were doing the work that they probably got from their parents. We know the next two did, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, because Zebedee was a fisherman too. And then they're having a job, getting a stable income, taking care of their family putting food on the table. And that's okay. That's great. And part of, even with the ministry I do, work for a church, give you a secret, I don't love all of it. Preaching to a camera is not my most favorite thing, although knowing that you're watching it at home definitely makes it feel better. But sometimes God crosses our path and says, hmm, Look, I have something different for you. I have a detour I want you to take. It may be a very big one. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat, with their father Zebedee, mending the nets. Then he called to them, and they immediately left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is a moment of redirection. And I believe that our God who wants a relationship with us, our God who wants to interact with us, a God who wants to lead and guide us and help us, that there are these moments of redirection in our lives. Maybe not as big as being called by Jesus out of a boat, but maybe not a whole lot smaller either. Maybe there are some moments that are life-changing. Well, we make a decision or a choice, or we change, or we think, I, I wanna, I'm being called to go this way. That I can't rest not going this way. That Scripture and the Spirit and the burden that God has put on my heart for, you name it, you fill in the blank. Literally, you fill in the blank. And that's maybe God crossing your path. His grace taking you in a new direction. A redirection. Because that's how God works. God doesn't just you know, put us in a car and say, all right, there you go. We're always crossing his paths. Now let me tell you another story. And this one might seem a whole lot smaller, but I do not believe it is necessarily insignificant. 
I remember being at camp my senior year, and I loved this camp. And I know many of you loved maybe the camps you went to, your kids loved Deer Run, or the other camps that this church is connected to, like Bandina or Netsis or other ones. And camp has a very special place in my heart, in my Christian development, my spiritual formation and maturity. And my senior year, I was wanting to squeeze every bit of camp out that I could. I knew that this is my last time to be a camper. Next year, I'd be a college student, and I'd probably help with camp, and I did. And I've been to camp many, many, many summers, even past college as an adult. I just love it. And if I can find an opportunity to go to camp, I go. Because I love interacting with kids. I love teaching them. Just uh, enjoying that atmosphere that camp provides in such a special way. But I was there and I, and I was trying to soak up that special atmosphere. And at that camp, every night we sang around the flagpole. It was kind of our closing thing that we did every night. One of my favorite parts, because I do love to sing and I've always loved to sing. And for the better part of that week, that evening flagpole time had been kind of a letdown. The numbers were a little bit lower, and the kids that weren't there weren't the strongest of singers necessarily. And so, fairly arrogantly, maybe, I tried to come and said, I tried to sing louder. I tried to kind of push by the way I sang to get other people to sing. And I was just getting frustrated. Probably because people were, what's that guy doing? Why is he howling like a cat? Or you know, why is he being so loud? And I was trying to push it and make it happen, and it just wasn't happening. And I actually lost my voice that week. By, by the time Friday night came around, my voice was gone, and I couldn't sing anymore. And I was just you know, dejected that this is my final Friday night and my final experience of being a camper at this camp at this session that I love so much. And I could hardly hum at best. I wasn't speaking, I, and my voice was just shot. And a little kid led Blue Skies and Rainbows. It, it was spontaneous singing, so any of the, the, the guys, young or old, you know, could just start a song, and we went about 15, 20 minutes and then said a prayer, and that's how we concluded our night. And this young boy started Blue Skies and Rainbows. And I couldn't sing, I didn't sing, I, I had to listen. And all the kids joined in. And all the adults joined in. And it became the best song of that session. I can still remember it. That you know, I was looking up at the stars and their voices were just, it seemed like going straight up to God's throne. Unhindered unforced, and that's what I tried to do. I tried to force it. And I'd often tried to force it by singing the newer songs, the, the, the songs as a teenager I, that I really craved and not those silly kid songs, which I love silly kid songs now. But that moment, that blue skies and rainbows, it was beautiful. And in that moment, God's presence was tangible that he had crossed paths with me. 
taught me a little bit of a lesson, Colby. You don't force it. It's not about you. And what other people can do in simplicity is sometimes the most powerful thing that can be done because that's when God's Spirit does show up. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all offered their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. This was a, a busy time in Jesus' life. And one day he's sitting there with his disciples who he doesn't have a whole lot of time left with, and he says, hey, look at that. God's doing something right now. God is being glorified right now in a small way. Kind of like me driving by and seeing those monster trucks. Hey, kids, look at that. Jesus said, hey, guys, look at that. See that widow there? You probably were noticing all the rich people come by and write those big checks or shake out their big bags of coins and hearing it clank really loud in the box. He said, that, that, that widow right there, she just put in more than all of them. See that, guys? God's at work. See that? God is doing something, but you have to have your eyes open to see it. And it's small. And it shouldn't be a shocker, but it doesn't involve you. I'm talking to his apostles. Doesn't it involve me, Jesus? Somebody else was doing something completely independent of them. Yet if you have your eyes open, you can see the glory of God shining through. Kind of like driving down a road and passing. This is intersecting God, maybe just in passing. It's not about you, and maybe you don't stop or change your life or change directions. No, but something's going on over there. I would just say, don't miss it. God is doing amazing things, and He wants you to be encouraged and to learn lessons and to be formed by not just what you go through yourself, but what you see in others. Have your eyes open. I have one more story. And this one involves when we're going along and we come to a screeching halt. See, sometimes when we intersect what God is doing or something happens that we either see, you know, that we have an option to turn. And sometimes the things we experience in life just bring traffic to a standstill. And I've been on those journeys, and no doubt you have too, where just come to a dead stop. When I was a senior in high school, before I went to camp and had that experience, it was just a, the week before spring break, actually. And on Tuesday night, I was in one-act play practice, I don't. I didn't do one act play up until my senior year, and a teacher convinced me to do it, and I had a good time. It was a cool thing, and I enjoyed it. And we went to regionals, but didn't go any farther. But I remember that Tuesday night play practice, 
A friend from church ran in through the back doors and said, Colby. And I thought, that's kind of strange. What's Larry doing here? This is just a practice. And he said, Colby, we got to go. Your brother's been in an accident. And then everything came to a screeching halt. Not Larry. Larry put us in his van and he drove 90 miles an hour to uh, Abilene trying to avoid the cops to get us there as soon as he could because my brother was in bad shape. He had been hit by, while jogging on the side of the road and when we got there, things didn't look good. And by the next morning, they said he had lost all brain activity. And so my mother and myself and my older brother uh, there was the middle brother, the one in between us, that passed away. But by that time, that next day, we were all there, and we had to take him off of life support. And it was gut-wrenching. And I will say, I don't believe that God caused that accident, per se. Um, God can do things like that. And sometimes he has done things like that, but I think often it is the product of living in a fallen world where bad things happen. And God doesn't desire bad things to happen. God desires good things to happen. But because of our sin, bad things can happen. But uh, that night, that uh, after we were faced with that news of having to pull the plug. I remember that we were sitting in the hospital waiting room, many of, and my brother was at college. He was going to ACU at that time, and many of his friends were around. And it almost became surreal. And my mom started talking, and everybody started listening. She was just talking to one of Conrad's friends that had asked her a question, but then everybody kind of got quiet and everybody listened. And I was sitting on the floor, and many of the other people from college were sitting on the floor too. My mom was up on a chair. And in that odd moment, it's almost like we became the students and she became the teacher. And she, in that moment, having being a mom that just lost her, her son, she encouraged. She encouraged them. She let them know that they were going to be okay and that we were going to be okay. And I don't remember the conversation exactly, but you know, you have a certain view of your mom, especially when you're a teenage boy. In that moment, kind of the veil pulled back, and I was amazed. Oh, my mom is a godly woman. And here she is in a moment of crisis displaying that godliness. You know, God has come in this moment where we've come to a standstill. Not because of God, but God showed up to be present there, to be a part of it. And I'm not saying that was the only thing that happened, you know, that it was all better the next day. No, my mom actually went to a very dark place and our family had some very real struggles in the weeks and the months and the, the years that followed. And as you well know, no family is without its struggles. And so some of those things, no doubt, still linger. But in that moment of crisis, in that moment of complete disruption, God was there. 
In the book of John, chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Verse 32, Now when Mary came to the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the people who had come with her weep, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. He asked, Where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. In the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Thus the people who had come to mourn said, Look how much he loved him. But some of them said, This is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? Now this is a very famous story, and I imagine you well know that Jesus did raise Lazarus from the dead. And his raising the Lazarus from the dead was kind of a precursor to Jesus himself rising from the dead. In the book of John, this is, this is the seventh sign. There are seven miracles in the book of John, and they kind of intensify. And then you get to the seventh one, and Jesus raises him from the dead to get us ready that Jesus himself is going to rise from the dead. And so it has a happy ending. But I don't want to jump too quickly to that. You have this incredible verse, Jesus wept. Jesus shared in the sorrow that they experienced in that moment. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. And I don't think he was weeping for Lazarus. Lazarus was going to be fine. Here in just a few moments, he would be walking out of that tomb. Jesus wept when he saw his friends weeping and the other people around him weeping. And in a moment of heartbreak and distress and sorrow, God was still active. God was intersecting with us. God can do things in moments of crisis and sometimes only, uh, some things he does can only be done in moments of crisis. Again, I don't believe that means he causes all the crisis. But whenever we come to a screeching halt, God says, I'll cry with you. I weep with you. I hurt with you. Let's not waste this moment to see what God can do. And that's exactly how Jesus worded it before he even left to go see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, look, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, it leads to death, but not permanent death. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And he says, and what's happening here isn't just for the right now in this moment, but God is up to something. Not causing Lazarus to die, but God is going to work in this moment and reveal himself. And if we have eyes that are open to see it, we'll be blessed, we'll be changed, we'll be transformed. One thing I want to close on is that in all these stories, both my personal stories and in the stories, of course, that we read of in Scripture, it, is, it should not surprise us that the way in which God shows up and works and moves is through people. 
Of course, Jesus himself embodies this. And he called the disciples to follow him. But even that widow with the two little pennies, God worked through her. And in Lazarus, and in this very sad, solemn time as Mary and Martha and the other people of the community were mourning and in grief and in heartache and weeping. In that moment, God showed up and he worked. And that's what he does. He shows up in people and through people and amongst people. Now, there are times when we might go out on the mountainside and be all by ourselves and look out at the grandeur of creation and be touched, and in that moment, very much intersect God. And that can happen. Of course, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, so sometimes it's good to have some solitude and some quiet. But don't ever have your eyes closed to how God is working in people, how he's working in you, and how he's working in the people around you. That God is a king of a kingdom, and his people in his kingdom are his prized possession, are his hope for his future to one day dwell with us forever. And he works through and in and amongst us, using what's at his disposal, often scripture. Often a worship service, and that's where we're going to go over the next three weeks, is sometimes we're surprised about when God shows up, and we're never going to be able to anticipate them, but kind of don't be surprised when you're surprised. God does show up. God does do things, and he wants you to see it. He, does, he brings his grace, and he intersects with you. And it's a good thing. Keep your eyes peeled for it. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at ways in which God has made a promise to show up. And God, may, God can surprise us and show up when we don't expect it, but he also says, expect me here. And that's what we're going to look over the next three weeks. The times when God has said, I will meet you here. My grace and my love and my mercy will meet you in this place. Keep your eyes open for it. And know that as His grace intersects with you, it's not by accident. We serve a God who wants to connect with you, who wants to connect with me, who wants a relationship. And that may be hard to fathom if we think that we're not worth having a relationship with, but our Father thinks we are. He made us. He knows us. He knows our problems and our flaws. And he says, I want to meet you. Don't just barrel ahead, live in your own life. Slow down, take notice, take a turn, come to a stop. Whatever you need, God says, look, I am right here. I want to be with you. Let me. And that's the invitation we offer through Christ. Christ came in a shocking way to the world. And he says, look, God is at work because God wants to be with you. Let him, accept him, follow him, serve him, surrender to him.
intersect the grace he brings into your life.